I was on a diversity, equity, inclusion call recently, for reasons we don't need to get into, when the host stated, we are all the same inside. I had to immediately interrupt. No, that's not actually true. It is true when it comes to race or skin color. In fact, if you insist on breaking us into groups based on the level of melanin in someone's skin, then you are a very superficial person indeed. But it's not true of men and women. This is because women have two X chromosomes, while men have an X and a Y. There's no escaping that. We are our gender down to a cellular level. I thought about this exchange recently when I was looking at the demographic of the podcast. One of my production platforms, Spotify, allows you a fairly sophisticated breakdown. Think of yourselves as a massive bag of apples. If I divided you based on skin color first, then sexual preference, then identity, then named all the apples, is the bag more diverse or have I just created more data points? And what if I created my own data points? Let's do that. I suspect we could divide you into one of three groups. Firstly, there's those of you that are new to Wall Street. You have a feeling that you've missed out on the golden years of the business. But this is where the money is, and you know you can lose money chasing women, but you can't lose women chasing money. So welcome, and get some. Secondly, there are those of you who were too junior to have seen that much before the financial crisis, after which everything remotely fun got cracked down on. You know the business used to be better, but ran into a timing issue. That's a bummer. But this is objectively not your fault. Lastly, there are those who were there alongside us and, for the most part, listen with the detached ear of people who have just moved on with their lives. I'm dividing by generation here, and indeed age is a fairly useful criteria. But gender is more practical. If I divide our audience by gender, you are 93% male. Which brings me full circle to say, we are going to talk about women on Wall Street again. The framework we've chosen thus far is to discuss six women, Denise, Doreen, Dorothy, Donna, Debbie, and Diane. This week, let's do... Denise. Denise grew up sheltered even by today's standards. She was in her teens before she even knew she was part of a vast crime family. The authorities used to come by to detain her grandfather once a year, in a sort of elaborate theater. The strange culture of an authoritarian state that had embraced capitalism, but still had no idea how to deal with capitalists. She was vaguely aware people treated her differently, but it became undeniable when she turned 16 and a man came to the house, formally greeted the family, and then slipped her a $10,000 check. She had $120,000 by the end of the week. When she brings this up with her grandfather, he says to keep the money, but remember he'll have to repay it somehow. An annoyance for a man who was arrested whenever the government wanted something from the Kiretsu. At one stage that week, her mother walked in with a $40,000 watch. Denise asks where she got it, and her mom just says, I don't know, some businessman. There was a dark side to this. So when she was sent to the U.S. to study in college, she decided to stay here. Her postgrad was at MIT, where she helped Jim Simon build flamethrowers out of water pistols. Then she found herself one of the only women in the quant revolution, mercilessly applying data to an analog business. Eventually, she was backed by someone who had made so much money in FX, they named their son Sterling, and therefore able to experiment with market programs to make sense of the nonsensical. In short, she was playing Russian roulette with someone else's head. Suffice to say, there's zero reason for someone like Denise to be friends with a monkey like me. When we met, she was in spitting distance of being a billionaire, an elderly Korean who would be more at home talking about quarks and Markov chains. 
By comparison, I was in my 20s and getting in trouble at the office for inviting too many strippers to a party. But we did become friends. Because as sophisticated as quants are, most of them back then couldn't describe how a bid-ask worked. So Denise was the second woman I decided to reach back out to. Eventually we reconnected, and I asked her to give her fellow women on Wall Street some advice. This is what she had to say. The first thing you should know is that in terms of large-scale influence on the financial stage, whether sales, technology, trading, private equity, or wherever else your individual talents or interests may lie, statistically speaking, you are highly unlikely to make any noticeable difference whatsoever. The world of finance is just too large, the competition too great, attention spans too short, and issues too complex and multifaceted. This may sound like bad news, but it should actually come as a huge relief to you. Why play such a heavy burden on yourself? When Denise looks back at her storied career, what she sees is an extraordinarily fortunate sense of timing, something she objectively had very little to do with. That aside, these are her other observations. Diversification is everything. You get past this by having lots of that. No matter who you are on Wall Street, no matter what you do, no matter who your colleagues are, 30% of them will love you, and 30% of them will hate you, and 30% won't care. Only worry about your own happiness, which doesn't have to be limited by other people's stupidity. Lastly, luck is created by the prepared. If you have lots of ideas and don't know which to concentrate on, then execute as many as possible. The right idea will pick you.